Welcome to the Logos of Experience and Truth podcast, where I unlock the mysteries of the beatific vision of God. This is the ancient yet ever-present path of discovering your inner freedom and unlimited potential to achieve your goals now. Check the episode description for a link to the podcast page at logosofexperienceandtruth.com where you can navigate this episode with time-stamped show notes. Let us begin. Welcome back to these, the discussions of the Logos of Experience and Truth. When I ended last time, I'd gotten into the mystery of the male and the female, or of gender, as is also stated in the esoteric work I spoke of called the Kibalion, and in particular how this applies to the mind itself, that the mind itself has both a male and female quality to it, one part that receives, one part that gives or implants. You can say the conscious mind is the male mind that gives, and the subconscious mind is the female mind that receives as well. We'll get deeper into this once we get further into the mysteries themselves, for it is important to understand mythologically, as well as spiritually or mystically, what is the male and the female in the external, so that it is more easily understood in the internal, especially during these times of the questioning of the sexual aspects of gender itself. I'll toss this out as well as I have in several episodes. Neurology has actually uncorked this ancient wisdom of the male and the female in the mind. As I stated, they simply think it's some type of new scientific finding, when this in particular is extremely ancient knowledge of the interior workings of the mind. The historian in me had also spoken a bit. It's a well-known fact in Catholicism from converts to Catholicism that opening the study of history is a pathway towards conversion since it trumps any false histories or narratives that Protestants of the church speak, at least as it is in regards to history. I don't think this is what led to my journeying back and or into the Catholic Church, since I can't really say I was part of it as a child, even though I was baptized Catholic around age 5. In case you're wondering, since I couldn't get past the idea of Protestantism sola scriptura, since that idea doesn't exist in the Bible to begin with, and because it would mean each of the disciples are damned to hell since they had no New Testament Bible to read, if they could read, since peasants of the countryside, which the disciples most certainly were, typically couldn't read back then, and is probably the reason why the majority of the New Testament is St. Paul's writing, since he obviously could read and write. So that Protestant tenet makes no sense to me if I look back further than 15th century Europe. It makes sense in a world revolutionized by Gutenberg's printing press, that invention that gave rise to Protestantism's sola scriptura stance, along with the distaste of the corrupt bureaucracy of the church at the time, of course, it does make sense to say that all should have access to and be able to read the Bible for themselves and that the Bible should be followed exclusively. But when the attempt is to place the current worldview into the worldview of the past, well, that's when the things that have happened to Christendom have happened to Christendom. Just as this attempt seems to happen every generation when the new generation tries to do away with the old generation by covering it up or altering it, instead of embracing the past as it was and learning from it if need be. As the historian's maxim states, those that do not learn or study history are doomed to repeat it. 
Now, if you want any further discussions regarding why or why not Catholic or Protestant from my point of view, off the top of my head, I honestly can't give more than what surrounds Sola Scriptura or the compilation of the Bible and its history. Since Sola Scriptura fell apart for me once I put it to the test, I never bothered to learn to any deeper degree other than a lecture here and there the differentiation of theological things between the two. Yes, of course, I'm lying about that. I did learn more, but I can't really think of what else putting myself on the spot right now. But there are plenty of apologists out there that can help answer these types of things. I used to listen a lot to Catholic Answers back during the mini-revival I had in 2009, and they always had good stuff on there for those seeking knowledge of such things. I will mention such topics as I come across them, but I am not an apologist. Just as I have said in the context of things I've spoken of, I'm also not a theologian. So if I get things wrong from either point of view, it's because neither is my focus. The same with historian or mythological classical student of the ancient world and its myths. The mystic, unfortunately and or fortunately, however it is you want to look at it, has to be skilled at each and every one of these. But from what I've experienced, doesn't ever really become master of any one. For the mastery that occurs, the mastery that the mystic truly seeks, the mastery that God pushes the mystic towards, is the mastery of the self. Where the gift of the Holy Spirit may endow an apologist with discernment, a theologian with knowledge or wisdom, it gives the mystic mastery over the self. Now, I won't be so bold to say I've achieved this fully yet since the gifts of the Spirit unfold, like the symbol of the lotus in the east, alongside the symbol of the rose in the west. So the gift is given but it takes time to manifest. It's actually one of the theories I've got regarding the visions that are seen themselves. They are visions of the mystic's future, at least in my case is what I saw, but one must still walk the path in order to reach the fulfillment of that vision, even though God has already shown it, the possibility of that future at least in the gift of the vision itself. That was something I wanted to get across. It's self-evident, of course, but it makes sense just to flat out state it. That which is internal occurs much faster than that which is external. I can think about making a billion dollars instantly, but to actualize the reaching of that goal takes far greater thought and time to accomplish. And so if the mystic knows that inner perfection is what is needed to please God, even if God blesses with the vision prior to achieving this, it is still the daily goal in practice to continuously perceive all that the Spirit is leading one towards, and for the mystic, it is self-mastery, where one's inner state of mind is no longer contrary within itself, where I am no longer my own greatest enemy, or as I stated in my ascension experience, I am no longer my own greatest devil. Yes, you do get the vision itself, the experience of union with God, validation of God's imminent truth now, and things of that nature, but if there is a gift, the gift bestowed by the Holy Spirit, the boon, as Joseph Campbell calls it, the most direct and immediate gift is the greater awareness of the indwelling spirit, the Jiminy Cricket voice of conscience we've spoken about, and that this voice is constantly leading one towards fulfillment in Christ. One simply has to clear the path to hear it, then hear it, then be able to decipher what it's saying, since as I said, it most usually speaks in symbols, which then leads to knowing what it's saying, then choosing to follow it which itself is the desert of the soul, since the inner will battles endlessly towards the kneeling before the throne of God. Several steps, of course, but that's what these talks are all about. So we'll obviously touch far more regarding this. 
When I was thinking of categories or buckets of information that I could share in these talks, things that you, dear listener, would care about, the what is in this for me question was something that stood front and center in my mind. Why should I meditate or pray? What's the point? What do I get from this, the narrow path of this mystical crap? Things of that nature. To answer as quickly as I can, you get yourself. The you. You that again, preposterous as it is to say, you get the you that God had in mind when you were created. And with that, with that blessed state of knowing that bending the knee to God, submitting your will to God, unlocks your true self, is your true self, that following the will of God is following that most perfect idea that you have for your own self, even if it's deeply buried in the recesses of your mind and heart, that your will becomes God's will, and God's will becomes your will. Quite the gift, is it not? Now, there are many in this world that seem to achieve this without any mystical experiences. That is why Jesus and his church are for people like me, broken in two from childhood, sick, and in need of a physician, just as Christ says is his purpose in the Gospels. I'll leave those thoughts here for now, and though I'm getting tired of saying it, as I'm sure you may be getting tired of hearing it, I will return to many of these topics again later. Speaking of where I may get things wrong, I'd spoken of conquerors and their destruction of the cultures and the writings of the people they'd conquered and things of that nature in the last episode. It appears those that did this never lasted very long, so the Babylonians that appeared to have done this were taken over by the Persians. Those that sent the Jews back to their homeland and their empire lasted far longer than Babylon's by adopting the customs and or culture of those they conquered rather than destroy the memories of the past. And Alexander the Great did the same, adopting the customs of the cultures conquered, even forcing his generals to marry abroad in order to merge with those other peoples, while yes, at the same time, bringing Greek culture to them. So yes, my statement is technically true, but true towards those conquerors in history that never remained conquerors for very long, or whose conquests fell apart very quickly by empire standards. So just wanted to put that in here, since I finally did start that Silk Roads history book that didn't work the other day for some reason, and was reminded of this fact by the description of how the Persian Empire would adopt the clothing styles of those peoples conquered as a way of assimilation, rather than pure conquering annihilation. Next, and hopefully I won't come back to this for a while, but I keep coming across other ideas regarding eternity that I've thought of prior to recording the episode on the indescribability of God, but since I did record it, my unconscious mind is continuously going to work putting all the puzzle pieces together on whatever I've spoken of, especially if it's something I missed. So two days ago, November 1st, was All Saints Day, and the question of why pray to saints came up during the homily, and it reminded me of what I've discussed on eternity and the kingdom of heaven here, right now. Heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is not a tomorrow place. Now, I'll admit, as I've done regarding another topic or idea, I can't remember which, that perhaps I'm just the idiot that saw this concept of the kingdom of heaven coming to pass in death, and that everybody else is on the level regarding the kingdom of heaven being here right now, and that it's not just something after death, like Bosch's painting on the paradise of earthly delights. But that's how I'd seen it, thought about it, 
especially when you, and when I say you, when I fell into the trap of theologizing the problem of evil, it makes it seem like the kingdom of heaven, just as the presence of God, are far away, are not here or not close to us, and are up there in the sky, far away, somewhere over the rainbow, like Dorothy, and not things for right now, but only after death. Maybe I'm just the dumbass that thought and believed in this way, even after having the mystical awakening experience, perhaps that's just how much of an idiot I've been in regards to the kingdom of heaven over the years. Well, regardless, I've clearly elevated my thinking and perception on this topic. If the kingdom of heaven, eternity, God, is here right now, and just as Christ says, it's all around us, though we do not see it, and if I use the Gospel of Thomas line quoted prior alongside this, the kingdom of heaven is all around and inside of us. So there's some other realm here right now called the kingdom of heaven. And if we remember the Bible quote from the last episode of God being the God of the living, not the dead, for to God all are living, then those saints dwelling in the kingdom of heaven, dwelling in eternity with Christ, are doing so right now, alongside, within, merged into in whatever manner it is, the visible world around us. Now there is a veil, there is a threshold, there is a boundary of sorts, and imagining oneself speaking to the dead isn't a healthy practice since the dead aren't necessarily the same as the saints. Though as I mentioned in Dante's Paradise, and just as the priest said in the homily I was listening to, there are countless unknown saints that have entered into the kingdom of heaven. So to pray to them, not attempt to speak to them, or the differentiation between prayers and superstitious prayers and activities are very different things. Praying that the ancestors, or in this case, the saints, pray for us to God, for they are in the company of God in the kingdom of heaven, is a very different thing than praying to the spirits of the ancestors to not haunt or cause you or your family harm if you haven't prayed or offered sacrifice to them, as was rampantly done in the ancient world, especially the ancient Roman world, which was the precursor to the Christian world. They are two very different things. Subtle, especially to those that oppose such things, but they are very different practices. And again, using that same sociological idea I presented in the first episode, it seems all cultures had some type of ancestor worship or prayer that occurred in one way or another. So the reality of the dead existing in some manner after life but that this existence was concurrent and alongside our own existence seems to have been the same across all cultures, and this is rooted in that mysterious knowledge of the eternal kingdom of heaven all around us. Okay, so hopefully I won't come across any further things regarding the concept of eternity or the kingdom of heaven so that we can move forward. In the last episode, I'd spoken in depth about the Christ, the second person of the Trinity, and had brushed upon the complexities and differentiations surrounding the Holy Spirit that I've seen, that I've seen what others have seen, but that this is also not what others, those that have seen traditionally or orthodoxically, have seen. Like I said, I will unpack this further once I discuss the mystical experiences themselves, but to my Orthodox, Catholic brothers and sisters that may have raised an eyebrow from how I finished the last recording, I promise you that I am no heretic. I'm sure there's some psychological theorem surrounding when one says they are not something, that it usually means that they are that which they say they are not, or something to that order, 
But then there's also the same logical reasoning as it applies to if somebody asks themselves if they are crazy, that it means they're not crazy, since the simple action of being able to ask that question of oneself means that they are not crazy, since a crazy person wouldn't ask themselves if they are or are not crazy. So I think the same applies with my having stated that I am no heretic. If I bow any lower before the throne of Christ, I think my back will break. But I say this here not only to address any questions that I have raised so far in these talks, but also because when all is said and done, your eyebrows will reach Groucho Marx levels from all of the things I've seen within my visions that I will speak to you of. But I promise you, with my vocal confirmation, that Christ is Lord. There's no other way for me to have explained the second person of the Trinity the way that I did without understanding that Christ is Lord. Please just bear with me as those eyebrows start to continue to and increasingly rise over these episodes. Finally, just to finish out the further thoughts from the last episode, I was thinking once more about the Holy Spirit and how the Creed states that the Spirit proceeds forth from the Father and the Son. In understanding the pattern of the Creed itself, it allows one to view it in comparison to those beginnings in the Garden of Eden. The man is made in the image of God, the image is based on the Logos, the mind of God, and the mind of God is God himself. From this image, once placed into the clay or the body, the female, feminine, Eve, is brought forth from this. So again, proceeds forth, issues forth, is the same concept and idea found in the creation or generation or begotten not made, even for Eve. She was not created. She was not born but as the text states, was built up out of that rib from the side of Adam or clay or earth with the image of God dwelling within as the animating spirit of life within. So there is a deep commonality between the trinity of God, man, woman alongside God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in the spiritual, mystical as well. Now this brings the idea of made in the image of God back to the forefront of my mind, where I spent a great deal of time meditating on not just how we are made in the image of God, or from whence we are made in the image of God, which I think I satisfactorily explained in the previous episode, but more than just this, and rooted in a question, another of those wonderful things I asked myself and spent time meditating upon, waiting on the answer from the Spirit within. If we are made in the image of God, then how, like God, are we? We've already identified the true self as some sort of neurologically based energy impulse, neurotransmitting, electrical data and information, brain and nervous system superhighway of energy, and somehow within this is the mind or thought as being our true self, along with there being some deeper meaning or an elevation of the body itself into heaven since Jesus rose body and spirit into heaven. But the question is how? What about mind and what about body makes us like God in a small G sense? So I tried to do this in a previous episode, and I think I failed pretty spectacularly in trying to lead you on a guided meditation. So I will try to do this again now because I want to show you the manner in which I've seen how we are made in the image of God, or just how special you, dear listener, truly are, and how in this, you and I are like God. For to use one of the qualities or designations 
or definitions that has been used to describe or define God, that God is unique and unlike any other, that there is nothing like God save God. And so, how are we like God in this manner if we are made in the image of God? So what I'd like to do is leave behind the mystical jargon and symbology and actually put many of the various concepts we've discussed to work. This will touch upon that knowledge of the true self made in the image of God along with our ability to hold in our mind to the best of our efforts the slice of eternity that we're able to contemplate on. The best way to accomplish this will be of course through meditation. Now I know I spoke against the concept of the third eye and it may seem contrary that I will recommend you focusing on that spot between the eyes above the brow of the nose but this is not the same inner use of the mind as I spoke against prior. This isn't narcissism or seeing oneself as being equal to or self-divine without the creator as creator but to see how alike the creator we as creation are. Again, two very different things. Also, I will try to limit the religious or spiritual talk so that those secular-minded persons can also try to visualize this. As I said the last time, please don't do this while driving or while doing something distracting if you want to be able to get the full effect. And if you don't care, then just listen on. Please find a comfortable spot sitting down with your back straight up, on the floor cross-legged, in the lotus position, laying down, it makes no difference. I personally found no benefit to one position versus another, though laying down could sometimes put me to sleep. But in that sleep, I usually had some awesome lucid dreams, so whatever position you desire, it's your meditation, not mine. And once I discuss the expansion of the mind, I'll discuss meditational practices and postures much more. Once you've found your spot, please close your eyes. Focus on your breathing. In, out. In, out. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Hold it. Breathe in, hold it. Breathe out. Hold it. Each time you breathe in, feel your chest expanding, your belly working to take in the air, and then breathe out. Each time you breathe out, imagine that as you exhale and feel the collapsing of the lungs, that you fall deeper and deeper into the cushion of your bed or chair, the carpet on the floor, the surface underneath you. Breathe in, breathe out. Feel the softness of the sheets, the supports of the mattress, the cushions on the couch, the cushion and supports of your legs if on the floor, and breathe in and breathe out, sinking deeper deeper into calmness, relaxed, awareness, consciousness itself. Breathe in and breathe out. Deeper and deeper into relaxation. 
by now your breaths may be short and calm. If you're still taking deep breaths, continue and let the calm and stillness come naturally. Focus on the air entering your nostrils, flowing down into your expanding lungs and expanding chest. Breathe out. Let your head bob forward a bit from the motion of your breath and continue to breathe. Gently turn your attention and focus towards the shadow image of your nose between your closed eyes. Imagine the spot between your eyes as your focal point for where the attention and direction of your closed eyes are looking. Or if you prefer, ever so gently crack your eyelids open and look through your entwined lashes and attempt to see your nostril or the tip of your nose. Do this until you no longer need the eye open to focus and then close it fully while still picturing in your mind the tip of your nose both outside and upon your face but also inside as the invisible visual representation of your nose as you hold your eyes closed. As you do this, look at the ashy, almost television static of your closed eyes as you focus in shrouding the invisible tip of your nose and breathe in and breathe out. Thoughts will enter your awareness. It is inevitable. And as long as you accept this, it makes it easier to deal with them. As these thoughts enter your awareness, replace them with the shadow image of your nose, the tip or the space between your eyes, or with the awareness of the static of your closed eyes. Now let's pause to do this a few times as the thoughts enter in. At this point, you may even start to feel a hint of that vibration that I spoke of emerging from the space between your eyes. This is perfectly normal, perfectly safe. This is not the mystical state yet, but if you do feel that vibratory sensation, it's a sign that you are calm and still and aware on being aware and focused on being focused. Breathe in, breathe out. Each time a thought or memory or the voice of the critic in your mind tries to take you from this place, bring your attention back to the tip of your nose or the space between your eyes or the ashy-looking television static that you see when your eyes are closed. Or let your curiosity towards the vibrational feeling in your lower forehead Keep you returning your attention over and over again. Now that you are calm and still, let us engage in the purpose of this meditation, the visual imagery and the idea behind it to show you how special you truly are, how important you are, how glorious you are, how beautiful and precious and unique you truly are, not just to your children, your spouse, your family, your friends, but to God 
and hopefully to yourself as well. And that there is nothing that you need to do or achieve to be this or to experience this or to feel this. For you already are this. You simply need to know that you are this by knowing yourself as the ancient Greek maxim states. Allow me to show this to you. Agree that you would like to see this inside of yourself, for I can take you there since I have been there myself. I thank you for your trust. You honor me with it, and I promise I am only trying to show you how wonderful and perfect you are as you are right now. Not tomorrow, but right now. Breathe in. Breathe out. For we are made in the image of God. To see and understand this can bring peace and serenity, calmness in the stillness of the mind and heart. To see this, we must travel together. I will be your guide, and you will be the one imagining as you imagine what I try to show you. If you believe in the Big Bang, that a Big Bang occurred, whether spontaneously or set into motion by a creator, then all the universe around and outside us, within us, within our very bodies, within our very mind, is the Big Bang. For the Big Bang has not stopped. It is still occurring, and if it is still occurring outside of us, in the macrocosm of the physical galaxy, then it is also occurring within us, in the microcosm of the galaxy, within our mind and body that is connected to this eternal beginning. To see this, we must penetrate entirely into this present moment to see the totality of its magnificence of your magnificence. Let us begin. Picture your skin, your outermost layer, the color, the texture, the hairs, then dive in. Picture your flesh under the skin, muscle, tendons, blood vessels, arteries, then dive in. Picture the fluid of the blood, flowing inside the vessels and arteries, the pump of fluid from your heart, moving the fluid to and fro, then dive in. Picture the blood cells, their circular form, moving almost in unison, deep within the fluid of the blood, then dive in. Picture the nucleus in the blood cell, its structure, its form. How everything simply works in unison, in concert, together. Each part of the nucleus achieving its goal, its end. Then dive in. Travel through the dark and murky, web-like and cavernous microscopic universe beyond and within the nucleus, twisting and turning as one part connects and another strand disconnects onto the other. The DNA within you the caduceus of the ancients, the storage house of the knowledge of the entire history of all that created you. Then dive in. 
you see many swirling circles all around you with a haze of static electricity, of energy. You focus on one of the electrons circling the nucleus of the atom. It spins at such a rapid state that it's as if it isn't moving at all. From this vantage point, the electron appears to be simultaneously moving at the speed of light or is at rest, depending upon that which you, the observer, choose to see. Dive in further. You travel through the darkness of the quantum world all the way until you come upon a vast expanse of peaceful darkness, stillness, and tranquility. You, the observer, observing the beginning of you, the beginning of your consciousness and mind. And then the light emerges within this vast and still darkness, warm and peaceful, soundless and all-encompassing. Feel how familiar this light is as it travels from its epicenter towards you. This, the gift of consciousness, the mortal and possibly immortal mind, the image of the image of God. Bathe in its radiance for a moment if you can, and then return your attention to the darkness. Watch as micro-dust particles merge together, fusing in a strange manner with the mixture of light and darkness, fusing and forming irresistibly until the individual elements of the atom are formed, proton, neutron, electron, the physical trinity of creation. Then watch as they are irresistibly brought together, proton and neutron seemingly at rest and the electron alongside it seemingly active, Moving, you gaze above the single atom you witness forming and see countless atoms fusing and merging together, rapidly, like a million rows of dominoes toppling over in succession. You come out further, masses of rock and crystal crashing together in a spectacle of creative power to form into the mass of the earth, the core, the layers upward, and through massive underground caverns of magma billowing up, as you merge with the volcanic explosion, you exit as magma touching the sky and then watch as it splashes upon the ground and meanders towards the ocean waters, everywhere the land formation slowly growing and increasing, the waves of the waters rhythmically swaying, the wind whistling and crackling as the magma touches the water and instantly cools and hardens. Fast forward to seeing the apparent order of the fresh and green world, birds chirping, the buzz of insects in the air, howler monkeys in the distance as you enter the greenery, traveling deep, until you see an intersection of two bubbling rivers that you follow up or down, left or right, it makes no difference, only remember which path you take. The river leads you to a secret inner place, and there, you finally see the first humans. Whether a biblical Adam and Eve in a garden or not, it makes no difference, for you realize that somewhere, at some point, two persons loved each other and birthed a child, and that child later loved another and birthed a child, and that child loved another and birthed a child, and you begin to see the strand. The long history 
of all the ancestors going back to the beginning of humanity and that they are all within you, stored in the memory of your DNA, within the entire makeup of your entire body and mind, in your blood, all history, all knowledge, entirely within you. Because also within the same strand, going farther and farther back in the creation of the universe, is the beginning of the Big Bang, which we just witnessed. The Big Bang of consciousness inside of your mind, just as the Big Bang in the external physical world. And here, now, humanity, the beings capable of contemplating their own existence. You try to picture humans naked and free that slowly become clothed, slowly gain tools to hold, slowly emerge out of the caves to cut down trees and fashion huts, to build canoe-like boats and travel across the streams and rivers. Fast forward to an ancient culture and the landmarks that interest you about it. The pyramids at the Giza Plateau, the New Grange Mound in Ireland, the Colosseum in Rome, the Tikal pyramids hidden in the jungles of Guatemala, Machu Picchu hidden in the mountain peaks of Peru, the temple in Jerusalem. Choose one. Imagine it. See the various peoples looking up at the sun, basking in its warmth. Plow herds work in the fields. A shipwright carves a piece of wood for a shipmast. A Bedouin manages a stubborn camel through the desert. The blood in our bodies, the same blood, flowed through each and every pairing of male and female throughout all the history of your ancestors and flows within you right now. Picture the oldest relative you have memories of. Great-great-grandmother, great-grandfather, Picture the stories you may know of them. Birthing your great-grandparents. Birthing your grandparents. Birthing your parents. And then you. See yourself in your mother's womb. Hear the voice of your father and family and loved ones outside of the womb. Feel the comfort and eternal timeless security inside the womb of your mother. Remember that stillness within the vast expanse of space within you. Remember when the light emerged and came over you, that beginning point of yourself, your mind, and that this occurred at some point within you, while inside of the womb. Now as gently as possible, with as much control as you can manage, while trying to remember the images you choose to resurrect in your mind, for they will inform future meditations. Picture you, your life from your earliest memory to yourself, right here, right now, seated in a chair, meditating on the floor, or laying flat in bed, your eyes closed, Breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in 
and breathing out. I will give you a moment to let your mind project the images that you wish to see as you and your life. You've just traveled, according to science, 13 billion years of time, 13 billion years of time travel in a few moments by thought alone. See and realize that going all the way back to the beginning and then picturing the same strand all the way to any perceivable end after you, any conceivable end to all of this that you may come up with, the history of the universe, when all this retracts back in either the scientific manner or in the religious spiritual manner, that throughout all history, all time, by the very nature and uniqueness of your body, mind, and soul, having been made in the image of God, see and realize that there will never ever in the history of the remaining world, and neither was there in all times in the past, and neither is there today, now, there will never be you again on this earth or universe in the manner in which you are now. That is how unique and perfect you truly are. That is how special and loved you are by God. That is how in the small G way we are made in the image of God and are unique in the universe as God is uniquely unique as well. The eternal combination of the entire makeup of your body exactly as it is right now and exactly as it has been since the moment you were conceived is completely unique and unlike any other. The entire sequence of life experiences experienced by you, the thoughts that you remembered and viewed a few moments ago, are unlike any other's thoughts that have ever been and will never be replicated in the entirety of the remaining time that this universe exists on this planet or on any other potential planets or life forms in the entire galaxy. The entire sequence of thoughts that you have had in your mind in response to or as a description for the sequence of life experiences that you have had has never been and will never be replicated in the entirety of the remaining time that this universe exists. You are entirely unique and perfect, exactly as you are, exactly as you have been, exactly as you will be, until the end of time. And that, my dear friend, is the truth of your being, and one of the ways in which you are made in the image of God. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out.
Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Slowly bring your awareness back into you. Feel your breath. Feel your chest rising and falling. Regain awareness of the place you are in. The house. The room. The couch. The chair. The floor. The bed. And slowly reopen your eyes. Understanding this truth. Naturally, this doesn't mean that there may not be things you want to fix or change or grow or enhance or let go of or heal or anything of that nature. But deep down, this is your true and eternal self, that which is made in the image of God. I thank you for letting me take you on that brief and hopefully eye-opening meditation that, again, does nothing more than follow the ancient Greek maxim of know thyself. If I have done my job right, I hope that you have peeled a layer off to closer and better understand this most perfect maxim, and that you, dear listener, know thyself just a little bit better, and that by knowing thyself, you also get to know God better, too. Until next time. Thank you for listening. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. I have close to a thousand pictures at logosofexperienceandtruth.com under the vision section that show what is perceived by the human mind during a mystical experience. Every culture across the entirety of time has depicted the experience with the same foundational pattern, including science in modernity. Click the link in the episode description or search for logosofexperienceandtruth.com so you can see for yourself and confirm or refute my claims. Please share this podcast with those that are like-minded and click a like on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you again.